why thinking like a scientist can make you a better investor on this healthcare episode of Industry Focus. It is April 19th. Welcome to Healthcare Industry Focus. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and I've got Todd Campbell on the line. Todd, how's it going? Oh, it's going very well. Glad to be here. Good. Glad to have you, as always. So, Gabby LaPera and John Maxfield did a show on Industry Focus last Monday, April 11th, about writing and how learning to be a good writer helps you with your investing. And we got a lot of really great feedback about that episode, and it is a great one, so make sure to give it a listen if you haven't already. But I have to say, I have always been more of a math nerd than an English nerd, so I had this idea. And fortunately, Todd was on board with me here. We want to make the argument for thinking like a scientist in your investing and how it can help you make better financial decisions. So we'll start out by talking a little bit about the overlap between science and investing, and then we'll do some more healthcare specific stuff. Sound like a plan, Todd? I think that's a, a great way to approach it. And don't, you know, listeners, don't get too nervous here. You don't, you're not going to need to be a scientist to be able to invest in healthcare. We're just going to walk you through some thoughts that, things that we think that could help you in uh, your process. Yeah, this is definitely more of a high level sort of episode as opposed to like, well, if you're looking at this clinical trial data and you see a p value that doesn't correlate with, we're not, we're not going to bog you down with that. So no worries. Um, so, Todd, when we were chatting earlier, um, you mentioned Adam Grant, who I, I, I was really excited when I, I saw your note about him because I actually just read his book, Originals. And he has a lot of really great thoughts about thinking like a scientist and how to best use a really empirical framework in making decisions. Did you want to yeah, touch he, a little bit on he him? He was just at uh, Motley Fool HQ, wasn't he? Yeah, he gave a really, really fascinating talk. Yeah, and what what struck me about uh, him, or what reminded me, was we were doing a, a, the work leading up to this episode. You know, I, I was listening to the podcast that he had recorded when he was there, and you know, it was a fascinating discussion because it talked a lot about you know how how we come to to make our decisions. Yeah, we get emotional as humans about a lot of things. And we know in investing that time and time again, individual investors often lose to the broader market because they let their emotions get tied up in their decision making. And as Adam Grant points out, trusting your gut only really works when you're an expert working in your field of expertise. Outside of that, you're better off following more of a structure, methodical way of thinking. Right. It's all about process, right? If you have a process that's repeatable, something that you can put into place and continually refer back to and then use time and time again, eventually maybe you'll get that experience level where you can rely on your gut. But yeah, in, investing with your gut, if you don't, especially in healthcare, right, where there's a lot of nuances, um, especially in biopharma, yeah, you, it's good to have a process that you can spell out and walk your way through. Right. So that process, of course, when we're talking about science, is the scientific method. And so this is a very uh, elementary sort of concept. I, I think I probably learned it first in elementary school, but it is so robust and so useful that it's something I still use to this day in my investing and outside of that. So I'll just uh, start walking us through what this scientific method is, because there are some very clear steps to it. And then maybe we can talk about how it relates particularly to investing. So 
First thing, first things first, when you're looking at the scientific method, you need to ask a question. So, if you are an observant person, which hopefully you are, um, you're going to be picking up new ideas all the time, learning things from the world around you, and you're going to hear these ideas about new industries and new companies. Um, maybe you see something in the news or on a podcast. And as an investor, you're asking, is this a good place for my money? So there's your question. Do I want to invest in X? Right. And you know, the other thing to add to that too, Christine, is if you can be more specific when you're asking your question, even better. Right? Yeah, that's I a mean, great point. Asking the question, is Celgene likely to go higher? Right. Maybe you're not going to be able to to narrow that down uh, quite as as easily as maybe if you could say, well, will Otesla, their uh, autoimmune disease drug, see their sales grow over the course of the next 52 weeks. Right. And so once you have that question in mind, and I really like your commentary there that the more specific, the better, you need to do some research. You need to understand what are some of the competitors in this space or you know what is the industry all about to begin with. So you want to make sure that you have that solid understanding before you get to your next step, which is to construct a hypothesis. And this is absolutely the essential point in the scientific method. If you remember one step out of this, remember to construct a hypothesis. Right. I mean, it's kind of like have, trying to figure out where you're going without a map. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And this actually really ties back into what Gabby and John were talking about on Monday, um, because you should write it down. You should have a solid thesis statement hypothesis and write it down and be able to, to carry it with you as you go through the rest of the scientific method. Um, next step in the official scientific method is to test your hypothesis via an experiment. The way that I would think about that uh, for us, for investors, is that people running these companies are kind of running experiments. You know, you're running a business, you don't quite know what the outcome is going to be, but you're putting in all these variables and you're testing things. And so even though it's not you, the investor, necessarily conducting this experiment, it is still your job to keep an eye on the company leadership and what exactly they're doing so that you can Right. Hit. And there are other ways to, I mean, not as not as deep diving as that, but I mean, if you have a hypothesis, you think the stock may be going up because of a certain drug and uh, the sales may be increasing, then you know, track the sales of that drug. See whether or not they truly are increasing quarter after quarter after quarter. Yeah. Put the stock on a watch list uh, if you haven't invested in it yet and see whether or not you know, the the stock is acting well, if it's trading up on, on greater volume, if people uh, are embracing the story. Exactly. Yeah, and that brings us right to the next step, which is to analyze this data. So, say you can find data about uh, new prescription volumes of this drug that you're interested in, and you want to correlate that to the stock price, you can do that. You, know, you, can, you can make a regression and try to draw a conclusion from it. And so once you have that conclusion, the very last step in the method is to communicate your results. And we're so fortunate to be part of this Motley Fool community where there are other people that are really, really interested in talking about this kind of stuff. And you can go to uh, to Motley Fool Caps, you can go to our boards, and there's this whole community of people out there that want to review your work. They want to look at your hypothesis and your research and see if your analysis is correct. And what's great about that too is it provides, you know, you and I talked about this previously, but you know, you have to be a little bit nervous when you're an investor about confirmation bias, right? You come up with a conclusion, you have this, this, you've determined what you think will happen, right? And then from then on out, you run the risk of excluding any kind of information that may call that into question. 
and yeah. just simply reinforcing that same uh, conclusion over and over again with what you read. By opening yourself up to a broader community, you're challenging that. You're allowing people to be able to say, no, I, I disagree with you. Maybe you didn't think of this. Yeah, and I think that really gets at the most important part of thinking like a scientist in this entire thing, which is that when you're presented with new evidence, you need to be able to look at it critically. You got to take your emotions out of it. And even if you have to admit that you were initially wrong in light of this new fact or this new piece of information, that happens. You don't want to be overrun by this confirmation bias, as you mentioned. You need to be able to take in new evidence and say, okay, is my hypothesis still correct? Well, and you know, that's one of the biggest, most difficult and most challenging things facing investors. It's very hard when you've invested your time, your effort, and your money into a certain idea to say, you know what, I was wrong. It is extremely hard. <laughs> um, so, in order to hopefully help you guys see a little bit more like how this works with some specific applications, and particularly in the healthcare field, we're going to dive into a couple of examples. But first, I want to point our listeners to podcast.fool.com, where you can explore the entire suite of Motley Fool podcasts. Did you know that we have five different ones? In fact, Chris Hill's Market Foolery is having its 1,000th episode tomorrow, which is very, very exciting. It's going to be a great show. So definitely check that out. And also check out podcast.fool.com to see what other podcasts we have to offer. So, as promised, we are going to take some of this framework of thinking like a scientist and apply it to healthcare stocks. Where should we begin? Oh, well, we have a few different topics that are probably fresh on the minds of, of listeners here. I mean, we, we can start with Illumina if you like. Yeah, so we talked about Illumina last week on the show, right? We sure did. We yeah. talked about the future of healthcare, and we were we discussed how gene sequencing uh, and the use of gene sequencing could revolutionize um, the innovation of personalized medicine. Right. So, if you had listened to our podcast last week and bought shares of Illumina after, of course, doing your own research on top of ours, you might have had a pretty strong emotional reaction to the news on Monday night of Illumina releasing their preliminary financial results, which ended up causing the stock to shed over 20% of its value on Tuesday. Yeah, it was a big drop. And, you know, is it, you know, it basically they, they came, their, their sales in the first quarter are lighter than what industry watchers were hoping for. So, you know, they thought that sales would continue to grow by a higher percentage than they're actually gonna grow. And as a result, people got very nervous, and the knee-jerk reaction um, was to press the sell button. So, when we were looking at Illumina, uh, to go back to our scientific method, what was what is the hypothesis there? If you were an Illumina shareholder, uh, how would you have communicated the buy thesis? I, I think that the the reason to own a company like Illumina. Um, and you know, spoiler alert, uh, you know that reason hasn't changed just because of what we found out on Monday. Uh, I, I think that what we're trying to communicate here is where is medicine heading? Okay, is medicine getting more and more specific to the genetic makeup of everyone that's suffering from disease? You know, be it cancer or be it you know some sort of a, 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 a disease, a rare disease, an orphan disease. Um, and you know the use of gene sequencing 
is going to allow us to transition from, you know, these small molecule drugs that kind of just treats a whole lot of stuff and, and hopefully treats what you're, what's ailing you too, uh, to these very specialized medications. Right. And Illumina is by far the leader in this space. So if that's your buy thesis and you look at these results and you say, oh, well, it looks like Europe was a little bit weak, which, by the way, even with Europe having a little bit of weakness, we're still seeing double digit growth projections for this company. It seems like that doesn't really modify the thesis. No, it doesn't. I mean, there's a few things that we have to do, right? Because you have to do your background, okay? So you look at it and you say, okay, they're saying that Europe was slower than the rest of the world. You know, you've got Asia and the United States growing at mid-teens uh, uh, growth rates. And you've got Europe growing at what they think is going to be low to mid uh, single-digit growth rates. So growth, not, not a retrenchment, a growth still, but slower growth than the rest of the world. So then you ask yourself, well, why is that? You know, what are the things that could be going into the reasoning by, by behind uh, Europe uh, growing more slowly than the other parts of the world? And once you've, once you've asked that question, then you can start to seek out the, the answer, if you will. Right. And I think if you dig in, and one of the things that you find is that it was competitive threat related, which to me, it doesn't seem like that was. But I do think that in my own personal thesis on this company, and I'm not a shareholder, but if I were, that's a huge element to the thesis is, is this company going to remain the dominant player? And there sure, are you've got a lot of you've got a lot of companies out there who are are trying to um, get involved in this space before theoretically it, it blows up and gets a lot bigger. You've got Thermo Fisher, um, which bought a company called Life Technologies a few years ago. They do a lot of work in the clinical space, um, in in you know basically developing systems that can be used for targeted gene sequencing. Um, you've got a, an upstart out of the UK called. Oxford Nanopore that has an incredible, it's a brand new approach to gene sequencing. They actually market uh, a handheld gene sequencing device uh, and have plans for a much larger device that, that could theoretically compete someday with Illumina. Um, so yeah, there are competitors out there in the marketplace that we have to be aware of. Uh, if you look at you know the reasons that, and they didn't go into a lot of depth, but if you listen to the conference call and you listen to the reasons one of the things that they said as far as why Europe is slowing is because of um, sharing of devices. So maybe in Europe you get more research teams sharing uh, the devices than maybe you would get in other markets like the United States. That's not new, um, so it's kind of hard for me to understand why they didn't model for that appropriately. So you still do have to consider the competitive aspect here. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's obvious that that, from their perspective, is having an impact. And it'll definitely be something to look out for in May when they release their official results, listen in on that conference call, and gather more evidence to test against the original hypothesis. Uh, let's take one more example. This is something that is even more recent than the Illumina news, United Health Group announced that it was going to leave the Obamacare exchanges all but entirely. What does yeah. this mean? I mean, that's, it's not a complete and utter surprise because um, they communicated that they were going to have discussions surrounding exiting Obamacare. 
Because um, they're anticipating a billion dollars of losses between 2015 and 2016 because of these exchanges. Yeah, they lost about, I think it was over 400 million last year. They had came into the year thinking they were going to lose 500 million this year. And then in their conference call last night, they said that, oh, we're, we think we may lose 650 million. Um, it may not sound like a lot when you're talking about a company with 44 billion in revenue, but this is a very low margin industry. You know, if you look at their premium revenue of 34 or 36 billion, they're only, you know, their er earnings from operations on that business was only like I think 1.6 billion or something like that. You, very thin margin business. So 650 million, I can understand why they want they want to rein in their exposure to that. So if you're somebody that's interested as an investor in United, does this change your thesis? I mean, is I the Obamacare so. is, is Obamacare I mean, even do you a big think enough? That people aren't going to buy that stock now because of Obamacare? No, I, I actually kind of think it's a good thing. Like you're exiting something that was clearly not profitable for you. That's the, an example of the scientific method right there is saying, you know what, we tried this and it didn't work. <laughs> right. Keep yourself open to opportunity. I mean, other competitors in the space, they're not coming to the same conclusion yet, quote unquote, right? We don't we don't know if they will eventually come to that same conclusion. The Obamacare exchanges are ex uh, they're expensive because you've got people who weren't previously insured. They're now starting to go out and get care. That care is expensive. And if you don't model for that uh, correctly and you don't price your premiums correctly in the marketplace, well, you're going to lose money. And, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. I think that from a, a shorter, shorter term perspective, this is the right move for shareholders because it allows, you know, United Healthcare to retrench, reevaluate, and then slowly but surely begin to increase their exposure. You have to remember, too, that this company, they went from operating in just four states the first, time, first year, so three years ago, to 34 states last year. I mean, they expanded this extremely rapidly. It's hard for me to understand how they scaled it up this quickly without expecting there to be some problems. Yeah, that, that's a good point, too. I mean, it was kind of a quick ramp up, and it looks like a pretty quick ramp down, too. But, you know, I, I actually do perceive that as a good thing, where the company can look at its decisions and say, OK, realistically, maybe that wasn't so smart. Let, let's backtrack a little bit here. There are going to be parts of the country that are going to be more profitable for insurers based on how they design their patient pools. And I think that once you know UNH digests all the information that it's, it's got now, um, it's going to have a much better uh, chance of, of figuring out where those parts of the market are most profitable for it to participate. And, and those are the ones that will stay in. And then as we go forward, maybe they'll start to fold in other areas in the coming years. Yeah, I think it's, it's smart to retrench. Think about where you're going and then kind of roll it out from there. Exactly. You know, we kind of got lucky here doing this episode this week that we had two really good examples come through the news for us. Yeah, we're, it didn't take us long to figure out what to talk about today, did it? <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you, Todd, so much for your excellent analysis, as always, and for your time. And folks, thanks for listening. Um, one housekeeping note before we totally sign off. I have been instructed to mention that the Thursday and the Friday shows of Industry Focus are going to be swapped this week. So you'll see the tech show coming through on Thursday and the energy show on Friday. Huge shakeup, I, I know. Catastrophic. If you want to complain about it or maybe celebrate it, I don't know. You can email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Thanks for listening, folks. 
As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against these stocks, so don't buy or sell based solely on what you hear.